Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps, the Golden Girls. Today we are on Season 4, Episode 8. Brother, can you spare that jacket? Uh, this episode originally aired on December 3rd, 1988. So what else transpired on that date in history? Well, in 1586, Sir Thomas Harriot, I think, introduces potatoes to England after importing them from Colombia. In 1926, detective novelist Agatha Christie mysteriously disappears for 11 days. In 1950, the Cleveland Browns record, to this point, uh, the final game in NFL history without a pass attempt. I doubt this this will be this will ever happen again, but probably not. <laughs> um, in a 13 to seven win over Philadelphia, in 1956, Wilt Chamberlain makes his college debut and records 52 points and 31 rebounds in an 87-69 Kansas win over Northwestern. Uh, and our two most recent events, I cannot figure out which one of these to go with, as both, both of them uh, struck me in the absurd way uh, in two different ways. Uh, they both managed to do so. I couldn't pick just one of these two. So firstly... On December 3rd of 2018, a Dutch court rejects a man's request to have his legal age changed to be 20 years younger. Okay. And then also on December 3rd of 2018, seven-year-old Ryan of Ryan Toys Review is the year's highest paid YouTube star Earning $22 million. What? Now, obviously, I'd never heard of this person, so I, I looked it up on YouTube, and it's about what you would expect. He reviews toys. So, you know, I watched about two minutes, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm done with this. So it's just a seven-year-old playing with toys and, uh, <laughs> you know, explaining why they're fun in seven-year-old talk. So, you know. Yeah, I cannot figure out which one of those two I found more strange. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, so I put them both down. So that's okay. our history lesson for today. So wow. why don't you tell us what transpired in this edition of The Golden Girls. Alrighty. Scene one. We're in the living room. So Sophia's on the couch. Dorothy enters from the bedroom area. Sophia is reading a letter she got from Joanna Pescatori. She is going to visit Miami, but the letter was addressed to Rose. Yeah, she's reading other people's mail. Rose then enters from the front door and is excited because she has picked up the weekly lottery tickets, of which we've never heard them have lottery tickets before. And I don't think we ever hear of it again. But Blanche enters from the front door. And Rose passes out one scratch-off lottery ticket to each of them. They scratch. And Dorothy has won $10,000. And Rose shows her great math skills by exclaiming that split four ways. It is almost $2,000 apiece. Sophia leaves the room. Blanche then shows us the aviator jacket she bought. Blanche puts the winning ticket in the jacket pocket. And the girls then decide to go out for dinner and, and go to get prepared. 
Sophia comes back out from the kitchen. Doorbell rings. Sophia gets it. It is Dave from Lincoln Hospital. He is from the thrift shop. And somebody called him to donate some old stuff. So Sophia shows him some boxes and then throws the aviator jacket on top. Dave leaves through the front door. The other girl... Now I have a question about this part, okay? Okay. Now, I'm no expert on, you know, on fashion and whatnot. I don't claim to be. But... (laughs) Like, Sophia explains, you know, briefly that, like, the jacket looks old. That's uh-huh. why she's... But, like, if Blanche just bought it, like, even if it <laughs> is, like, stylishly, you know, worn or uh-huh. whatever. Yes. Like, you're going to be able to tell that thing's brand new still. Yes, you will. Like... Uh-huh. It's not that. It's not going to look like... It's like been ripped apart. <clears throat> no, but that's Sophia. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Uh yeah, it's just they have and to. Like then, do especially that. when you pick it up too, you're gonna feel like, oh, this is nice supple leather still. Yeah, oh, this, boy, that's a good jacket. I might yeah. get this for myself. Yeah. But no, she gives it away, or else we wouldn't have the rest of the story. Well, here. that that is true. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the other girls are now ready and walk through the living room. Through the kitchen, out the back door to go eat. Scene two, we're in the living room. Rose, Dorothy, and Blanche are frantically looking for the jacket. And Sophia is sitting on the couch and waits. But finally she fesses up to giving away the jacket. All the girls leave through the front door to try and get to the thrift shop before it closes. Scene three, we're at the thrift shop. The girls arrive and Dave is there and says he just put their stuff out. Okay, but a big guy really big guy, has the jacket and says, Michael decided to take this. Blanche decides to talk to the guy but is threatened. Rose then asks if she could just try on the jacket but the guy says, Michael must get to the concert and Dorothy then says she would love to see this Michael. Yeah, the guy replies that she and the rest of Miami would like to see Michael but the entire engagement is sold out. The big guy then yells, Michael, and we see a gloved hand rise between two other uh, security guys, and the big guy throws the jacket to him. He catches it, then gives the peace sign with his gloved hand. I wonder what Michael that was. Yeah, I have questions about this, too. Rose thinks it's Michael J. Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> She's not too bright. So, this is supposed to be Michael Jackson, right? Of course, yes. Okay. So, we are to suppose... That Michael Jackson in 1988, right? So, like, not that, quite peak popularity, but pretty high still. Pretty high. <laughs> is picking out his, cost, his, his concert attire from local thrift shops. Yes, apparently. And he goes personally and does it. Apparently he goes. He doesn't have personally. a buyer or a costumer who goes and finds yeah. his outfits. Yes, and he, he does goes. Not go, he personally goes. He to, personally goes in there to local hospital thrift shops and picks out what to he wants pick out to wear that an night. outfit for that night. And he does not close the entire store down, so he's the only one in there. Right. He just goes with a, no. a small security team. But he closes down Disneyland when he wanted to go there yes. by himself. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but not to the thrift shop. Right. Yeah, we're supposed to, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suspend your belief of what actually goes on. And yeah. That is what happens with Mike, or happened with Michael Jackson. Sure, sure thing. Yes. <laughs> so, scene four. We're in the kitchen. Rose. Uh, she's on the phone talking to someone about the ja uh, about the ticket. Sorry, jacket, and a miscarriage of justice. Dorothy and Blanche are at the round table while Sophia is sitting at the Big Island. Unfortunately, Rose called a Chinese restaurant and not the Lottery Commission. They discuss their loss for a minute. Rose is reading the paper, and there is a celebrity auction that night to benefit the homeless and includes a leather jacket worn by a major rock star the previous night. The auction started 20 minutes ago and the girls decide to go to that auction. Scene five, we're at the auction. The girls arrive and the leather jacket is immediately put up for auction, yes. The opening bid is for $10,000 and it is sold immediately. I also have questions here. <laughs> we got lots. Now, if you as an auction house are selling a concert-worn attire, firstly, let's disregard the whole selling it the next night thing. Let's disregard yes. that part. <laughs> of course. You know, okay. sure, we'll give them that leeway, fine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> now, as far as I recall, they never directly state that this was worn by Michael Jackson. They just say a major rock star. Yes. Which we can debate Michael Jackson as a rock star a different time. Uh, but, like, you have to state who wore this, and there has to be some evidence shown for that. Oh, too. yeah, I'm sure. Here. Because, like, if I just go to some random auction, and they say, yes, we have this jacket worn by a major music star. It's like, Ooh. Yes. Like, I'm sure they you could, know, but I'm sure the show could the not. The show couldn't legally say, yeah, we can do that. If sure. They, if they said Michael but, Jackson, they may have had to pay him. Sure, but. Royalties, and they weren't going to do that. Sure, but. <laughs> but yeah, still would say who it was. Right. When he wore it. Right. When some sort of evidence yeah, you know, to support that you know this person wore it, because otherwise it's just like great. So, some rando person wore this, and you're just trying to pass it off yeah. as such, you know. And of course, last but not least, on all of this stuff, someone would have checked the pockets before it was sold here. Yeah, I don't care if it was Michael Jackson on that, stage. That that is also true. Yes, I wasn't going to get to that yet. I was going to get okay. to that when we get to the <laughs> to the end where but that comes back. Someone would have checked the pockets by mm -hmm. now. But okay, continue because I have a okay. question here in about twenty seconds again. Yes, and it was bought by a congressman, mm -hmm. and he just bought the jacket to make his concern for the homeless seem better. His aide is taking the jacket to one of the homeless shelters. To aid a homeless person. Mm -hmm. I have a question here now. Seriously? <laughs> now, this does make sense. This does sound about right. This does sound about right for a Florida congressman. Uh, you know, this does sound like something like Marco Rubio would do, where he's like, "Yeah, let me spend ten thousand bucks, buy this jacket, 
And here, so so, and here, the homeless here. Instead of just donating to a homeless shelter, ten thousand dollars or something, I will pay ten thousand dollars for a jacket, and then what? donate one jacket to one homeless shelter. Yes, this does sound like a trademark, uh, you know, Republican move here. This does sound about right. Well, it does. This that does sound right. Certainly, a big waste of money. Mm-hmm. The ten thousand dollars would have been a lot more valuable. Yes. Yes. One jacket. <laughs> then giving one person one jacket. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in scene six, well, we're at a homeless shelter. The girls arrive. The girls talk to a priest outside the shelter first. He thinks they need a bed for the night. And he gets them pillows. We hear and see many of the inhabitants of the shelter. Sophia recognizes one of her friends. We get all the girls talking to different people as they are supposed to be looking for the jacket. The girls all meet and decide to look for the jacket, and we see them doing it as, Brother, can you spare a dime, please? We see many of the faces of the homeless. Apparently, they looked all night and meet near the front door, and Blanche has found the winning ticket. The priest enters the front door and says, Good morning! Of course, the girls give the priest the ticket and start to exit. As this episode ends and we see the girls waving to some of the homeless as, Brother, can you spare a dime? Once again, please. Okay, so we already addressed the the ticket concern there. Uh, So I don't need to bring that up again. Okay. Someone would have... Yeah. I mean, before you sell something at the auction, you're going to mm-hmm. check pockets. You're What's check, in it? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> obviously. Sure. Now, I'm no expert. You you would know better than I would in this regard. But if you, like, turn in a lottery ticket that you've won 10000 on, wouldn't you have to, like, show a proof of purchase for it or something? No. No? Oh, okay. No, okay. you have the ticket. Okay, that's good enough for him. That's all you need. Oh, okay. That is why, like, when Rose calls, supposedly going to call the lottery commission and say, well, we had the ticket and we lost it. If, if you don't have the ticket... Okay, get... but you don't have to prove that you actually bought the ticket. No. No? Oh, okay. No. Okay. Um, so, a few references <laughs> are made throughout this episode, of course. Uh, an aviator jacket, uh, which is a casual jacket originally created for pilots, uh, but did eventually become part of uh, more pop culture apparel. Um, a Different World, uh, an American sitcom, as well as a spinoff of The Cosby Show that aired for six seasons, uh, centering on Denise Huxtable and the life of students at Hillman College. Uh, the Cosby Show, a TV sitcom starring Bill Cosby about his fictional family. Michael Jackson, we know who that is. Uh, Michael J. Fox, a Canadian actor, comedian, author, and film producer with a film and TV career spanning from the 70s. Most notably, of course, uh, Marty McFly in the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, Pepsi is a brand of soft drink originally created and developed in 1893. As Brad's drink uh, was renamed as Pepsi Cola in August of 1898, uh, and then renamed to just Pepsi in 1961. Uh, the Michael Jackson Pepsi commercial 
so in um, January of 1984, uh, Michael Jackson and other members of the Jackson family filmed a Pepsi commercial uh, and during a simulated concert in this commercial before a full house of fans, uh, pyrotechnics uh, set Jackson's hair on fire, causing second-degree burns to his scalp. Uh, eventually, this resulted in a lawsuit against Pepsi from Jackson, which Pepsi settled out of court, uh, and Jackson donated the $1.5 million settlement to the Brotman Medical Center in Culver City, uh, and as such, its burn ward was renamed the Michael Jackson Burn Center in his honor. Um, Chicklets uh, is a brand of candy-coated chewing gum uh, that was introduced in 1900. Uh, the Concorde uh, is a French-British turbojet airliner uh, that was in operation from 1976 until 2003. Uh, it entered service in 1976 and flew for the next 27 years. Uh, so that is that, more or less. Um, breast implants uh, are a prosthesis used to change the size, shape, and contour of a person's breasts. Uh, in reconstructive plastic surgery, they can be placed to restore a natural-looking breast mound uh, for post-mastectomy reconstruction patients or to correct congenital defects and deformities of the chest wall. They are also used cosmetically, which is the way they're you know, portrayed here, uh, to enhance or enlarge the appearance of the breast through augmentation surgery. There are three general types of implants defined by their filler material saline solution, silicone gel, and composite filler. Um, let's see, the Rainbow Room is a private event space on the 65th floor of Rockefeller Plaza uh, in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, it is among the highest venues, I assume that means as far as off the ground. Um, it serves classic and contemporary American cuisine, uh, and it opened in 1934 but was closed from 1942 to 1950 due to World War II. Uh, it also closed in 2009 due to the financial crisis of 2007 uh, and reopened in 2014 after a renovation. And since then, its food has received positive reviews but has been described as very expensive. Mm. Um... Hilton Hotels is a global brand of full-service hotel and resorts and the flagship brand of American multinational hospitality company Hilton. Uh, the original company was founded by Conrad Hilton, and as of 2017, there were more than 570 properties in 85 countries across six continents. Mission Impossible. Uh, now, you may think this is a wild reference. Reference, It's really not. Um, so this was to the TV show, uh, which I did not actually know was a thing, uh, but apparently it was. <laughs> um, so uh, this was a TV show uh, where, I guess, uh, people went on spy missions or something. Uh -huh. uh, it aired for seven seasons at the time. And then, this is why I guess maybe 
it was referenced in this episode, it received a two-season revival in 1988 on ABC, which I don't uh, know which network Golden Girls aired on. Um, but nonetheless, 1988, same year this opened, or this uh, episode, this episode <laughs> opened. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Of course, <laughs> most notably is now a series of theatrical films starring Tom Cruise, uh, the first of which premiered in 1996. Um, Peter Graves was an American film and TV actor, best known as his role as Jim Phelps in both editions there of Mission Impossible on TV. Uh, also known as uh, for his portrayal of airline pilot Captain Clarence Over in uh, Airplane and Airplane 2. I don't remember which character that is. Um, Ethan Allen uh, was a farmer, businessman, land speculator, philosopher, writer, lay theologian, American Revolutionary War Patriot and Politician, who is best known as one of the founders of the United States State of Vermont, as well as the capture of Fort Ticonderoga early in the American Revolutionary War. I have no clue why he was brought up, uh, but apparently he was. Uh, and then, of course, that song at the end there, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime?, as one of the best-known songs of the Great Depression, first written in 1930 by lyricist E.Y. Yip Harburg and composer Jay Gorney. Uh, it was part of the 1932 musical Americana, uh, and the melody of the song is based on a Russian Jewish lullaby that Gorney's mother had sung to him as a child. Uh, at the time it was uh, released, it was considered to be anti-capitalist propaganda, Almost dropped from the show, and attempts were made to ban it from radio play. Uh, the song became best known, however, through recordings by Bing Crosby and Rudy Valley. Uh, they were released right before FDR's election to the presidency. Uh, the Brunswick Crosby recording, made on October 25th of 1932 with Lenny Hayton and his orchestra, became the best-selling record of its period, and came to be viewed as an anthem to the shattered dreams of the Depression era. Uh, so, you know, that's the song. Uh, you know, it's about uh, just kind of... Um, it's very kind of an interesting song to look at from a historical perspective because it's very much, uh, you know, I mean, those people claiming it's anti-capitalist propaganda aren't technically wrong. I mean, kind of. Um, you know, and then also from just kind of a, you know, structural standpoint, it's very unusual as a Broadway number, because, uh, you know, like 95% of Broadway songs are in major keys, this is in a minor key, um, and, you know, then you get a lot of weird kind of uh, lyrical jumps and octave jumps uh, every now and then. Uh, for a while, which is quite uh, interesting from a structural standpoint as far as Broadway songwriting goes. Uh, so all in all, uh, solid, solid track here. Um, we have quite a few side characters in this one. Uh, Dave is played by Art K. Kustik, uh, known for La Bamba, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Remington Steel, and Hunter. Uh, the security guard is played by Andre Rosie Brown. 
known for Throw Mama from the Train, Tango and Cash, Kingpin, and Big Fat Liar. And he will also appear later, I think later this season actually, uh, here on the Golden Girls. Yes, he will appear uh, later on in this season. Uh, we'll get back to him later, obviously. He will appear in a different role uh, later this season. Uh, the Auctioneer is played by Howard Goodwin, known for Cheers. He plays Mark in I, that yeah one episode. Uh, Hill Street Blues, Fatal Vision, and Celebrity. Uh, Congressman Philip Starr is played by Stan Wojno, <laughs> okay. known for voicing Lifeline in G.I. Joe, uh, also in uh, the, uh, you know, the movie then, uh, The Hunter and the Killings at Outpost Zeta. Uh, he also voices Favish in uh, the Ghostbusters animated uh, show. Uh, the Priest is played by Matthew Faison, Faison uh, known for Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, in which he plays Stan. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, in which he plays the teacher at Springwood. Uh, then also Tough Guys and Sliver. Uh, do, do, do. Ben Wheaton, that's the guy Rose talks to in the... A homeless shelter is played by Teddy Wilson, uh, known for Good Times, in which he plays Sweet Daddy Williams, whoever that is. Uh, blood In, Blood Out, You Can't Take It With You, and That's My Mama. Uh, Kenny is the one I think Blanche talks to, uh, is known for The Simpsons, in which he provides additional voices in... Uh, 253 episodes of the series. Uh, the Simpsons movie, where he voices an EPA driver. Star Trek Enterprise, that's the Scott Bakula series. Uh, he plays Lar in an episode. And CBS Summer Playhouse. Then Ida Perkins, of course the one uh, Rose talks to, is played by Herta Ware, known for Cruel Intentions, Cocoon. Huh? You already said Rose talked to someone else. Ida Perkins, I think, was Sophia. Yeah. Is that not what I said? No, you said Rose talked to her. Oh, okay. So this is the one Sophia talks to. Yes. Um, known for Cruel Intentions, Cocoon, Practical Magic, and Species. Appears to play a lot of old woman characters uh, for quite a while here, it appears. Uh, so... Yeah, pretty much, almost exclusively, actually. Uh, her first credit is, in 1978, she plays Miriam's mother in A Question of Guilt. Uh, then her next credit is Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. No clue what that is, but she plays Old Lady on Bus. So uh, okay. she had a great career playing old lady characters, apparently. Huh. Um, so, no new sex partners established here. Uh, Sartali stands Blanche 61, Dorothy 6, Rose 5, Sophia 4. I do have some additional notes, the parts that I've already brought up. Of course, all those things that I had earlier, I know I've already discussed. Uh, but the one thing I did not get to bring up quite yet. So, 
this episode is kind of um, two different episodes at one time, really. Because you got the first half of it that's this very, like, you know, as is most Golden Girls, very uh, just absurd, farcical, you know, comedy going on. Uh, and then the episode kicks into greatness, really. You know, this is the first time, really... Uh, the episode with Gene in season three uh, kind of got here where the first time I would say the Golden Girls finally got into making great television for the first time they did it uh, once they get to the homeless shelter uh, and it's just tremendous, lays bare the wide array of reasons homelessness can occur and the song choice is both phenomenal and haunting in equal parts at the same time. Uh, great choice there uh, and just all in all that part of this episode for the first time I'm willing to say good to great television in this series so far we'll get another one next episode in a very different way that I will class as great television the next episode after this one uh -huh. um, but this one first time I'm willing to say good TV here Huh, okay. It finally got above being just a, you know, your kind of run-of-the-mill average sitcom. Did something interesting. I commend them for finally, after, you know, three and nearly a quarter of a season, finally getting there. Good job. Yes. It took you a while. Okay. Uh, some of my observations, which we've already discussed some of these, so I won't repeat them. Um, Michael Jackson. Okay, I checked for tour dates for around the time the show aired. Okay, you told us the date that it aired. Um, Michael was doing his bad tour from September 1987 to January 27th, 1989. So that would be the tour that occurred during the, the at least the airing of this show and probably the taping of it. Um, and he never played in Miami during that whole tour. Uh, the whole tour, the closest I came up with uh, in time-wise would have been he played in Landover, Maryland in October of 88. And closer in distance but further in time was Atlanta. He played Atlanta in April of 1988. So nowhere near, he wasn't even in Florida for that tour. So obviously it may have been Michael J. Fox and not Michael Jackson. Anyway, <laughs> uh, as you wanted to throw away, but I'm going to mention it anyway, uh, the auction ads in the Miami newspapers are apparently very fast to be printed. Uh, it's like, okay, he bought this jacket right before his concert. He wore it. The very next morning in the paper is an auction ad that includes that jacket. Yeah. And the auction is that night. Mm-hmm. I mean, no ads anywhere work that fast, except maybe on the internet now where you put on Craigslist real quick. Uh, <laughs> okay. Last but not least, I'm going to bring this up now because we got some minutes here. Okay. Number one, I know this is a sitcom. So, you know, we do that we have to give some 
allowances for certain things, of course. So this is another thing we had to give an allowance for. But I'm going to bring it up because this episode brings it out very well. In scene one and scene two, uh, you know, okay. Well, let me restart this. Okay. My question is, basically, how do the girls, there's three of them that drive, how do they decide who is parking where and when and who is driving when they drive somewhere? Because in scene one, Rose and Blanche both enter from the front door at different times, but back to back practically. This assuming they must have parked out front. So you're, you're assuming what? They have three vehicles? Yes, they each have a vehicle because they all go to work. Okay. So I figure they each have a vehicle. Okay. Okay, so Rose and Blanche parked out front. Uh-huh. Then, right, at, right after, you know, hey, they're going to go to dinner after they win the ticket, all the girls leave through the back door. So this is assuming that Dorothy has parked in the back and they're taking her car to dinner. And not one girl said, I'm driving. Not one said, let's take my car or anything. They just, here we go. Okay, then. Okay, see here, I will be. Well, I'm not quite done. Okay, fine. Well, I'm, unless you want to discuss this right now, but to, to further this on, after returning from dinner, in scene two, the girls need to get to the thrift shop before it closes. Well, they all leave through the front door this time. And thus, I was assuming Dorothy had parked out front this time. Or are they taking Blanche's or Rose's car? They don't ever say who's driving or whatever they're taking. So throughout the lifetime of this show, we see the girls come in and out of both the front door and the back door countless times. Obviously, mm -hmm. if they have a scene in the kitchen... They come in the back door, it seems, that they're driving from somewhere. Oh, the Dorothy and Sophia's in the living room. Oh, the girls come in the front door because they came back from shopping or what. <laughs> that I understand. They can do that. Uh, they do that because uh, that's where they park. But how do they... They don't decide who's driving. They don't decide who's... Unless they have assigned parking spots. That would be my guess. They have a they have a three car length or wide, you know, wide enough for each of them to have a space or whatnot. Uh, you know, garage or driveway, whatever. One of them parks on the street, maybe that could be. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, and then as far as like who drives, my guess would be. Is what I would hope they would do is when all of them are going together, they have a rotating schedule. Um, okay, you know that on you know Tuesday it's Tuesday, so we go in Dorothy's car today. Oh, it's Wednesday, we go in Roses. Uh huh. That's what I would hope they they are doing. You I just, know. Sometimes I find it humorous that. <laughs> You're probably the only one that's thought about this. Oh, I'm sure I'm the only person who, who, who thinks about this kind of stuff. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. It's a sitcom. <clears throat> I don't really go into logic with a sitcom. That's not really what I'm supposed to do unless I'm watching a sitcom that's not really a sitcom. 
you know, if I'm watching The Good Place or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that isn't really a sitcom but advertises itself as such, you know, sure. But when I'm watching The Golden Girls, it is as pert near as straightforward of a sitcom as you can get. I don't really <laughs> think too hard about much of anything. Well, some of this stuff, I, I'd just like to point out also, that, you know, that some of this is just, you know, it's just far out. It's it's out there. It's, you know, I, yes, it's a sitcom, so we, but, you know, how many sitcoms, and I don't watch them all, there's no way, but, you know, if I take some, you know, like, I love Lucy, they had a front door. You can't come in the front door, the back door, the, uh, you know, the lanai door. Lucy had a front door. Yes, well, it's, it's the 50s, so they also have husband and wife have two separate beds yeah. next to each other. They have two separate beds. I mean, two single. Sure. Two uh, single beds that do not touch. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you can go up, you know, Seinfeld had the front door. That's the only way they could come in. Uh you know, I mean, cheers, the bar, one entry in the front door. Now, you could come back from the pool table area, but that was it. You didn't worry about stuff like this one. This one has a lot of openings they can come in and out of. Well, see, that's the difference when you're set in a house versus set in and they're driving in a lot an of apartment are, or in know, a... And whatnot, you know, sure. Well, even houses, uh, okay, you take home improvement. They had the front door. They could come in the from the back yard. You're going to have to get a show I'm more the familiar garage. with. You know, so you, there are some <laughs> where they do show the garage, you know. Home improvement, I know, garage. But usually if he parked in the garage, then they leave by the garage. They don't go out the front door to go to their car. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, well, but anyway, that's... This is way a, too much time on how do the girls get out of the house. You know, just an observation. This is way too much time we've spent on this topic. Just an observation. It's kind of funny to watch and, and pay attention to that. So that's all. Oh, wait. i got to do my counts here. That was all I had for... Uh, silly stuff. The kitchen observation, I'll have to say, I thought it was an ugly tablecloth. They have a brown and white leafy one. Ooh, it's kind of ugly huh, for me. And actually, nope, I did not find any of my counts. Nothing was added to on this. So, my serious counts, weddings, planned weddings, stay at seven. Physical abuses arose, ten. St. Olaf Stories 26, Picture It Stories 18, Cheesecakes Eaten 12, Sicily Italian Stories 7, thir 33 Sicily Italian References, 16 times the girls mad at each other, uh, to do 21 sports still, uh, where's my game? Games are at 26, and Stanley is a Bornak appearance to stay at 10. I thought the rating here, we had some good laughs. Another tough subject was handled very well, and this episode gets an 83 out of 100. I'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls, and examines travel mechanics and sitcoms. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, 
Make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until that next episode, goodbye.